It's Filmsy, and we had so much fun a couple weeks ago with our award show. We're bringing back for bonus. Michael Burgett is with me and Rylan tonight. Really excited to have Michael. Cinephile in every sense of the word and has his own, you know, interests and takes. Really excited to have you back, Michael. You are responsible so for one of our best episodes we ever had on Filmsy, so thanks for being back. Well, thanks for having me back on. I really appreciate it. I just want to say hi. <laughs> yeah, interrupted yeah, me. Say hi, Michael. Hello. Hello. You know me. I'm shot out of a cannon. <laughs> Go for it. Well, boys, you guys know I love nothing more besides spoiling things than to look back. And here we are, still looking back at 22, but there's a lot of stuff to catch up and watch. You guys all loved Severance, so I've been watching that with my friend Landon, and it has been, you know, really weird and really good. So that's a good thing about these shows. It's like, oh, yeah, I need to watch that. And uh, I think Michael's going to give us some things in Rylan, too, tonight. Let's- and Speece, too. Oh, yeah, I may that's share right. a few things, but who knows? You, it is you know, our you bonus episode. We did a whole episode. Episode on 2022 and you did not give your take on any of them. Well, I am the host. I gave my piece. take on a lot of stuff. I well, criticize people's picks. I uh, take and it And that's back. what I do best. <laughs> you didn't <give laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't give any of my own opinions uh, up for criticism, but I did just, you know, share what I liked and didn't like amongst y'all stuff. And that's kind of where I want to live and where I want to be. But yeah, I'll, I'll point out some stuff. I'm really excited to hear. Michael has turned me on to some really good stuff over the years. So Michael, let's get started. What's your first category? Uh, well, my first category and one that i was surprised when listening back to the last episode that y'all recorded was about the batman which is my favorite superhero film of last year Uh, i thought that matt reeves did a tremendous job of kind of reinventing batman again and as many batman films as there's been over the years to bring about a new take that he had with new characters and new actors in those characters and everything it just it was probably one of the best films of the year and it definitely was my favorite superhero film of the year and lord knows there was a lot of superhero films in 2022 <laughs> but for me that was my favorite Rollin, i want you i want to get your feedback on this but uh, mine is quick it's i watched of course watch i didn't watch it in theaters what stood out to me is i think all movies are too long that was too long i thought pattinson was terrific i thought the production and the execution visually was maybe like a 10 out of 10 it was so good i just thought it was extremely dark and obviously the Batman movies and they're going to be dark it's a dark character I thought the execution was really good there's something maybe I mean not that the pacing was bad it didn't resonate with me like the Nolan films but I get what Michael's saying and somebody that can really appreciate the art of filmmaking I mean it, it was there I gotta say I, I thought it was the best superhero probably movie of last year unless you count everything everywhere all at once um, and I loved Pattinson I loved Dano and I also thought it went a little bit long uh, I think the ending didn't do the rest of the movie justice. That's my opinion. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I, I remember when I reviewed the film back when I saw it in theaters, I think I mentioned the fact that, yeah, it's probably just a shade too long. Maybe, you know, if you shaved off maybe 10, 15 minutes, it would have been perfect. Uh, especially with the third act, I think it kind of dragged on just a little bit too long. But yeah, I agree with you as far as Paul Dano. Like, to me, he's one of my favorite actors because of the fact that he can immerse himself in a role and just really kind of take over. Uh, and we mm-hmm. saw that with him as the Riddler, but we also saw that uh, in contrast as the dad in the Fablemans. Yeah, like he, he was has, excellent in that film. Yeah, he has that kind of range where he can play like the psychotic uh, deviant, uh, but he also play like the mild-mannered, you know, loving mm-hmm. dad and husband. And so he goes all the way uh, in between those. And so really, to me, he was the breakout 
star of that film, even though he's been around for a while. But just to right. me, his performance there, to me, the, the highlight of the film. Although you could give a secondary highlight to Colin Farrell as the Penguin. He, he immersed himself in a whole another way with all the makeup and, and the garb to kind of right. look like Oswald Cobblepot mm. in a way that probably, you know, maybe Danny DeVito in Batman Returns is probably mm. the closest to that. Uh, but really, th- those two kind of stood out to me looking back and reflecting on the film. Yeah, Dano is terrific. Uh, you know, ever since There Will Be Blood, I think that was 2007, we've known about Dano. I, I'm with you. His range surprised me, being the, being the dad, because he's kind of boyish looking to me, but his work in The Fable Ones was uh, really understated and terrific. Yeah, Colin Farrell is just really one of the great actors in Hollywood, and I don't know why that doesn't resonate with people, but 2022 really taught us that if we didn't already know that. Uh, I did. Uh, the Lobster's one of my favorite films. The Lobster's oh, such a, a genius movie. movie. Yeah. And wasn't he in Little Miss Sunshine, Dana? Was yeah. that before No. There Will Be Blood? Or There Will Be Blood no. was first. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was in Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. I had heard that he had tried out for the Kylo Ren role in Star Wars. And ultimately, huh. you know, that was uh, what's his face. But I thought he would have made a good Kylo Ren. I think, I think I'll, I'll say too. for me, probably my other favorite film that he was in besides, uh, you know, this year was Love and Mercy, where he played Brian Wilson. Yeah. Oh, I bet that, that was, is I a very that underrated movie. Yeah, you really—if you've never seen that film—I yeah. highly recommend it. Uh, it. It is tremendous. He he plays the younger version of Brian yeah. Wilson, and then John Cusack plays the uh, older version, and they just—it's just really, a, really an underrated film. To me, I think it's the consummate modern like musical biopic. So many of those are over the top and not done really well. A little gratuitous. That is Love and Mercy. Brian Wilson is such a fascinating character. I I thought it was so superb. So Dano's kind of quietly kind of got a, a rap sheet as a terrific actor because we just listed some terrific stuff. I'd forgot about him in Little Miss Sunshine and all that. He's he's really something. Uh, Michael, what, what's next for you? One that it's a category that I think when we look ahead to 2023 in a month, it'll be, you know, the biggest film is uh, favorite video game film will be Super Mario Brothers. But hmm. 2022 for me, it was Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, the sequel to the beloved Sonic film from 2020. Uh, and I feel like this is the sequel that improved on the original one because it, the first one was a surprise delight because most, you know, video game films uh, up until recently have not been very good. The first Sonic film was funny. It was really done well, but I feel like with this one, it was just ratcheted up a notch with all the inside references to the games. You had Jim Carrey back being over the top as a Robotnik. You had Idris Elba voicing Knuckles. And, you know, when that was first cast, people were kind of wondering is this really going to work with an actor like him doing the voice uh, of Knuckles? But he did a tremendous job kind of playing that uh, serious deadpan character. Uh, and then you had the original voice actor for Tails come back and uh, do the, the voice of Tails in this film. And just really, it's just a fun film. One that took the original one and just built on it and added more to it and was a fun time at the theater and I really enjoyed it. So that's why for me, that film is my favorite video game film of 2022. Uh, Michael or Alan, do you, do you guys like it when they go all out A-list for the voice actors? Like I know in the past, veteran voice actors did that stuff, but there's always been the occasional A-lister. Now it seems like, and I think that's the chief concern of Super Mario Brothers from what I've heard is it just seems like a lot of big names and maybe not who we would imagine like Chris Pratt being Mario. That's not the first one that comes to my mind. Does that worry you about that film or is it like Sonic? They went big and they won. Well, I think 
think it depends on who you cast. Like with with Sonic, they had that mix of uh, voice actors that were part of the video game brought over to the film as well as bringing in Hollywood actors. And who they cast was the right person. And the thing with Sonic, I mean, with Mario is, yeah, people are concerned because you still have Charles Marnay who does the voice of Mario in the video games. He's going to have a role. We don't know exactly what that is until the film releases, but... Uh, there has been a lot of concern of can Chris Pratt play Mario and but for like all the other characters everyone from like Keenan Michael Key uh, Anya Taylor-Joy Jack Black all of those people have been really receptive to so really I think it just comes down to whether it's a right fit and sometimes you have to wait until the film releases and you see it until you actually get a idea of is that the right fit or not for me uh i honestly i don't think getting a-list actors makes uh in voice acting makes the movie much better um but i think it sells a lot more tickets so yeah uh, you know you gotta you know i remember going to the movie theater you know when i was in middle school watching like aladdin or watching you know little mermaid watching those like disney uh, animated movies that made it really big uh and i don't know if there were any big name names in any of those those are some of my favorites of all time so for me you don't don't need the A-list actor, although it will help with the movie, selling the movie, selling tickets, uh, getting people to go and see it, maybe getting a sequel. So in that sense, I think it's important. But honestly, I, I think voice actors do a great job. Uh, they don't get enough. They don't get enough credit for what they do. Michael, let's talk about your favorite documentaries of 2022. This one was hard for me because there were a lot of good documentaries. You just see from the Oscars list how how many there were. There were a lot of good ones even left off of the finals. Uh, for that but for me uh, I had to narrow it down to three uh, because there were like I said there were so many good ones but the first one is Facing Nolan which is a documentary on the life of Hall of Fame pitcher Nolan Ryan and really it hit all the right notes of being a great sports documentary it had a lot of great interviews it had a lot of great footage and really told a compelling story of uh, the life of Nolan Ryan and somebody who isn't necessarily in the public eye all the time, especially probably in the last 10, 15 years or so. So for these documentary filmmakers to, you know, get him and, and get all this footage and get everything together and really just present such a great, compelling story, uh, I thought was tremendous and that's one of my favorite documentaries of the year another one is one that actually is nominated uh for a lot of awards is fire of love uh and it's about two uh volcanologists or people who study volcanoes uh and it talks about their relationship and how their work and their life uh kind of co-mingled together and just how much they loved each other and they loved the study of volcanoes and really just an intriguing story because a lot of it is found footage and classic footage and and all that because uh, they died, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> while they were uh, uh, tracking a, a oh volcano. Oh my god. And, well, I mean, well, it's been like 30 years or so, so it's not like it's necessarily a complete spoiler, but uh, so, th but there's not any like new, like, interviews or anything like that. It's all uh, in historical interviews and things like that, mm. which is an interesting concept to go about it. It, it lets the like the the people that are the focus of the documentary be the ones that tell the story uh kind of in the same way that my third documentary that i really enjoyed was moonage daydream of david bowie that one is nice. again 
another documentary where it's all uh, classic footage. It's all interviews of Bowie, uh, of the time periods uh, that he was uh, famous in, and, and just up until his death. And not no new footage, no new interviews or anything like that. It's just all from pieced together from his past. And uh, really, again, just a tremendous documentary that was one i saw on imax so just imagine like a documentary concert uh performance all on a big screen like imax and so it was uh, to me those were my three favorite documentaries of the year i mean this in all serious seriousness rylan doesn't don't you just really wish michael was like your next door neighbor I mean, come on. That, that's oh, that's three. Ter- now, one of them he invited me to go. Uh, I saw Facing Ryan with him, and it was terrific. And it was grassroots. It, it wasn't big budget. And you worry sometimes that they gloss over stuff. And then, oh, man, they did so well. And the pacing was good. It was the best documentary that I saw in 2022. It was just uh, surprisingly so well done. And a guy like that, especially when you go, and they went all the way through. Uh, they didn't skip anything. Like, they went early years. It was a true biography uh, in that way. And I just really thought it was outstanding. The Bowie one, I missed somehow. And I love Bowie. And why didn't I see that in IMAX with the whole audio? I mean, I would have died and went to heaven. So, and I'll forgive, Roland, I'll forgive Michael for talking down to us and insulting our intelligence that we don't know what a vulcanologist is, right? I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that was Spock, right? <laughs> well, I didn't watch a documentary this year, I don't think. I feel like now I need to go watch at least three of them. Uh, those sound great. I don't know what I was doing all year sitting around watching these dumb movies that weren't documentaries. Well, I was expecting more from you, Rylan, but we'll move on. Uh, great takes <laughs> there, Michael. That was really terrific. Okay, hey, all right. Uh, I'll Michael, tell you. you, you did um, you guys see the one where uh, it was like, where's Co- Pepsi, where's my jet? Yeah, Pepsi, where's my jet? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. I, I thought it was hilarious, and it was uh, a great reminder of the 90s and just yeah. all the, the gloriousness that was the 90s. In the With- ads, yeah, yeah. That's how I was thinking. I haven't finished it. I saw part of it, but that was the one that I was like, I really need to finish this one. But now I've got other ones I need to watch, so thanks. <laughs> Okay, Michael, we've got uh, our next category that you gave us on the list. What was your favorite period piece film in 2022? For me, this was one that was a prize and a delight, and it's called Mr. Malcolm's List. Uh, It's based on a book, and it's a story of a nobleman named Mr. Malcolm who has a list of characteristics that he looks for for a future wife it's set in victorian england kind of the premise of the story is like i said he's trying to find a wife and he has this list of characteristics and one of the socialites uh is uh turned away because of this and is kind of brought shame and so to get revenge she gets her friend uh to kind of pose as the perfect companion to meet all the characteristics of this list and of course uh with a story like this that the two uh leads uh fall in love and so you have all the 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 joy that comes out of a good rom-com uh set in the victorian uh bridgerton era uh jane austen era so it it's really just a fun entertaining film it's got a uh, a lovely cast one that was uh to me it was a found surprise it it was one that was just kind of on my radar on the periphery but then uh when i got to see it in the theater i 
really fell in love with it. It's it's one that I don't know if it necessarily got all the attention because it kind of came out around the same time as Elvis and Top Gun Maverick. And so it just kind of uh, might have got lost in the shuffle there. But Mr. Malcolm's List is was my favorite period piece film of last year. Sounds like a Victorian How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days movie. It sounds like every female I've ever met would really want to watch that movie and probably hasn't heard of it because I had not. I, I somehow missed it too. And that's not that's not a good sign for the film's uh, marketing because I, I missed that. But I mean, I love the period stuff that we've seen over the years, the favorite, especially the off-wall stuff. If Michael likes it, I bet it's terrific. But I, I just don't know that much about this film, Ralph, than you had heard of. No, I look through this list. I think I've watched, Michael, three of the movies on your list. And um, I haven't heard of probably 80%, which is what I love about this list. And I now I've got the text that you sent so I can go watch all of these movies, which is great. So clearly we'll be turning over this podcast to Michael because he's yeah. much better at this than we are. But he sold me on a lot of stuff. And I knew we wanted to do Michael. Try to get him on. The first show just ran late. But I, Michael always, he's not going to like the same stuff. He's, he's going to come at it from a different angle. And he always uh, gets me to see stuff that I probably wouldn't otherwise have seen. I don't know that I would have watched the Nolan Ryan documentary. I don't know if I would have, I would have found it. So stuff like that. Uh, Mr. Malcolm's List, it seems like a winner, especially with maybe the wife, Rylan. That would be a good one. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? The next one on the list, Beast, we have a special connection with this movie, you and I. Well, I really liked this movie, and we did. Uh, we don't want to ruin it for you, Michael, but Rylan and I starred together in college in um, in The Mousetrap. And I know we've heard a lot about The Glass, Glass Onion. And I, I think it's funny. Now, I have a hard time with his accent. Everybody knows that and but he's he's a fine actor and they are super fun i thought see how they run was the better movie and i'll lead in with that tell us about see how they run i thought it was terrific rockwell is just so weird and such a blast i'm so glad you brought this up michael's favorite ensemble cast film was not glass onion it was see how they run and not only it, pro- it probably too is my favorite comedy as of last year as well y'all kind of teased it already it's basically a reenactment of sorts of play the mousetrap it's set in 1950s England where there's been a murder that takes place uh, on the set uh, in the theater and the two detectives uh, Sam Rockwell and Sonoris Rowan uh, are in charge of kind of figuring out who did it and so you have like a murder mystery but you also have kind of a meta narrative of murder mysteries and how they're done and, and just really like I said the cast is tremendous because you have Rockwell and Ronan you got Adrian Brody Ruth Wilson uh, David Olawayu who's one of my favorite actors actors just top to bottom just uh everyone that's cast is cast perfectly for the role that they're playing it's a delight there's lots of great one-liners there's lots of uh good back and forth and even when they go like meta like the meta parts uh aren't like so over the top that they take you out of the film but they keep you in and just really make you a part of the story and you're trying to as you're trying to figure things out you you know get those little hints and then when you watch it back a second and a third time you're able to better pick up those little clues that are strung out uh throughout the entirety of the film and so really just a delight and one that I loved watching multiple times. I thought it was a really ambitious movie and like it was Ronan right who was who played the um, the female uh, lead like detective mm-hmm. I thought I, I felt like she steals the movie she's terrific uh, the casting was great I, I don't know I, I thought it was a terrific film. Rylan did you watch this? I did I love this movie and I just assumed I... this is a very Rylan <laughs> movie I know well, we were in the mousetrap so we have yeah. a special attachment to that but I just it was, it was very Rylan indeed 
Yeah, and honestly, like, I, it probably would have gotten added to my list if I had, like, you know, it was, I, I had not watched it as recently as some of the other movies that we had talked about, and I guess that that's what happens when you're just a regular dude that has a job and isn't a movie critic. Um, you forget about some of these, but uh, this movie, I loved it. You know, one thing that I that I really, I guess the only thing that I would like to see more was Adrian Brody. He, I thought he was great in this movie in the short time that he was in it. Uh, there's a yeah. scene where he's, he's a bartender, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's in Sam Rockwell's dream, maybe. That dream scene is amazing. I thought that was a great scene. Yeah, I'm a huge that fan of Adrian Brody. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah, funny because like at one point he's like, <laughs> where are my pants at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I thought, I think Brody is exceptional, and I like him in small doses like that, too, and and, uh, you know, we think of him as more of a leading man, but yeah, he was, he's just, I don't know, uh, he's dark-headed and peculiar and has a big nose. So, of course, like, I, I'm in love with him, and I always <laughs> have been. Michael, great category coming up, underrated film of 2022. This was one that really, you know, I talk about earlier with Mr. Malcolm's list, how it kind of flew under the radar. This one completely flew under the radar. It was one that I had, I didn't even know about until I saw it on uh, PVOD, because it didn't get a theatrical release. It was uh, just on... On streaming and saw it and actually had a uh, credit uh, from uh, Voodoo and rented it off of there. The premise of it was interesting, thought I'd check it out and loved it. And it's called Press Play. And it's a romantic comedy drama, so a dramedy of sorts. And it's got Lewis Pullman, who's the son of Bill Pullman, uh, also starred in uh, Top Gun Maverick. He, uh, was, he's the male lead of this film and uh, has a, the lead actress is named Clara Rugard, who I'm not as familiar with her work, but really the film premise is the lead actress, she uh, meets uh, Lewis Pullman's character at a record store in, I think it's there in Hawaii or Southern California. They fall in love. One day he gets in a terrible accident, dies, and she has this mixtape that he had left for her. And as she starts to listen to it, with each song, she gets pulled back into the past. And so so when she gets pulled back into the past she tries to figure out a way to save her boyfriend and so it's really cool concept of time travel where for as long as the length of the song is playing she is in the past and then when the song ends she gets pulled back into the present. And anytime something changes in the past, that's uh, reflected in the future. And it's really a cool concept, really interesting time travel dynamics, really fun and emotional relationship uh, between the two characters. The two leads have great chemistry. And it really is just a film that I definitely think that is underrated, both in the terms of just the concept of time travel, and they do a great job explaining how that's done, way more so than even Avengers Endgame does time travel. It has a great love story. It's really, like I said, one of my favorite films, and to me, it's the most underrated film uh in my book in 2022. So I'm going to rename this, Rylan, this episode, Michael's Guide to Nailing Date Night in 2023. Because this just sounds like <laughs> something like you'd watch with your significant other and they would love it and it would have elements like Michael gave a great pitch to it, but he could have said, you know, Danny Glover's in it. I'd be like, yeah, I'll add it to the list. Oh, I mean, yes, he's Danny in it. Danny well. <laughs> in it. So yeah, it sounds good. Rylan, have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. It movie. sounds great. No, I don't know how I didn't hear of it. It sounds like, like right up our alley, man. Like, um, you know, we've been wanting to do 
a show on Palm Springs. Is that the name of it? Yes. Uh, which is uh, similarly wacky. It's it's more of a Groundhog's Day thing, but you know it sounds yeah. just it's more like, of a time continuum than time travel. But yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? That's like the kind of movies that we like. How did we miss? They this gr- one? they make this great romantic movie. vehicles when they're done right, and mostly they're not. But they can be great. This one sounds like a, kind of, kind of a fresh take on it. And like I said, Danny Glover's in. I thought you had me at Danny Glover, I guess. So, Michael, I have an underrated movie of 2022. People liked it, but you just for what it was and who did it, I expected maybe a little more publicity. I thought the Del Toro um, Pinocchio was just really dark and weird and and just had a lot of heart. And I, I just realized all the work that must have went into that. And I just felt like it was a person that has been making great movies for a long time, had this pet project and poured himself into it. And maybe it wasn't what everyone was expecting. And maybe the tenor uh, was maybe not quite what a lot of people in 2022, people wanted adventure, something fresh, something different. Um, I, I thought Pinocchio was maybe the more underrated, most underrated movie of 2022. I would agree with you uh, in a sense, but considering all the awards that it's been getting, and right. it's probably the front runner for best animated film at the Oscars, right. it probably is uh, yeah. not too underrated. But it, yeah, it, I don't uh, think it's going to be underrated from a film standpoint, but I haven't heard a lot of people being like, yeah, I took my kids to see that. Or um, I, I guess I mean more from a pop culture standpoint, because I think critically there, I mean, Del Toro did Pinocchio. It's like, yeah. Well, I think probably the, the reason for that is because it's a Netflix film and Netflix is not one to necessarily put all their films in the theater. It's rare that, you know, even with Glass Onion, it got a week or two for screening in the theater. So That's true. they're not ones to necessarily put their films in the theater. And as we know, for a lot of things in Netflix, you know, it's trends for maybe a couple yeah. of weeks and then it, it's kind of gone it's out. Next. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a film that I think a lot of people talked about it when it first came out. And so maybe in the sense that it's underrated is that it's kind of gotten shuffled to the back uh, of a lot of things that's on Netflix right now. Right. Uh, but it definitely got the the credentials of uh, the award ceremonies. and, and Sure. And, but you make a great point about how Netflix does not care about box office run or even box office dollars. They care about subscribers and awards. And so they, they wanted people to, they want to drop people to Netflix. And they don't really care about the box office, obviously, because that had the makings of that family friendly film that could have really had a long sustained run and I guess that's what I'm looking for I need to maybe change my expectations maybe it isn't underrated for me I think the most underrated movie of your or at least one of mine that that I wasn't sure if I was going to like and I watched it and I recommend it to everybody was called Vengeance and it was it stars BJ Novak it's got Ashton Kutcher I thought that that was a a really fun you know kind of north meets south urban meets and Michael have you seen Vengeance? No but I, I know the film and it has an interesting concept about you know having this podcaster go yeah. and, and collect all these interviews and everything and so it's very much of 2022 2023 kind of uh setting it just it uh, yeah. fits right in yeah the premise and, and i thought novak did some things really well in fact i just got a bright future in film uh, i think he needed a little help on this film it wasn't quite complete to me but he nails some of like the unawareness in the his character doesn't realize that he's kind of miserable right and i felt it was really honest about you know some of the sub themes of like you know his own direction in his life and what he's really looking for and of course he 
was looking down on maybe a certain subset of people and they were looking down on him. And I think you don't hear the voice of, of the drug issue in rural America. And, and he did give that voice. Um, there was a lot I really liked about that. And Ashen Culture, up until the end, I just thought, wow, he is just outstanding in this. And we know they have a longstanding kind of uh, working relationship together. And I, and he really kind of served up, yeah, it ends weird, not to spoil a lot, but, you know, and I just felt like it was missing maybe a really veteran producer. You know, like Apatow helps get all these movies made mm-hmm. for folks. And I, and I don't think uh, B.J. Novak thinks he needs that, but I think it could have used a little ironing out. That being said, I think he might be that guy moving forward because I thought the, just the elements of storytelling and the subtlety and then the casting, I just, man, I there's a lot to like about Vengeance. I enjoyed it. I, I wanted to give a shout out to one other movie that if if I had to choose the movie that I went into the theater thinking I, I'm i probably going to fall asleep during this movie, I don't really care, and then we're going to leave. Um, I took my youngest daughter to see Puss in Boots uh, last weekend, and it was a 2022 movie. Guys, it was pretty good. And Michael, I think you would especially like it because it has a lot of like anime type animation to this movie it was not a straight up like cg movie it was heavily influenced uh from anime i don't know have you seen that yet no but i i know the story and i know i know like how the animation style is it uh it's one that i've you know critics have kind of been polarized about with the way it kind of switches uh back and forth from kind of traditional to that uh into the spider-verse kind of animation and uh but the story uh it, it's interesting because you know it's the uh puss in boots is on his last life and he's you know trying to hide away but uh the big bad wolf who is kind of tracking him down and the uh, goldilocks and the three bears are hunted assassins and they're trying to track him down and all this kind of is going on. It, uh, the story is interesting because, again, you have like the the character, you know, being goofy, but at the same time, you're it's playing off of uh, what does it mean to have, you know, only one life, and you know, what does a live uh, a good life lived, and all these different kinds of things. And yeah, it, it, there's a lot of layers to it underneath j- just being a family film. Yeah, and if you had told me, you know, I was going to walk into Puss in yeah. Boots and come out thinking, what a great movie, uh, I. I would have said you're crazy because I've heard nothing but good things about it. It's it's a it's a honestly good decent like it's a good yeah. movie. All the adults that I know that saw it liked it and and it made a lot of money. So that and whole I, franchise is just we got to quit doubting them because it's like when you see that you're like another one of these movies. But I heard it was terrific. I think it stayed away, and this is one thing that I liked about it is it stayed further away from the like adult jokes that you get in a lot of the DreamWorks movies that kind of fall flat. They're not funny for me. My kids don't get them; they go over their heads, and I just think right. you know this this is lame. It stayed away from a lot of that and just stuck with like a straightforward adventure with like michael said a bunch of those undertones of like you know what it means to to just have one life or and and like someone who's kind of getting older and ready to retire kind of a a feel to it that that was also accessible kids so and that leads us in really well to our next Mm -hmm. topic michael the uh you're gonna go over some of the anime that you watched this year and i'm excited about this part yeah this was one where it was like what was my best or favorite animated film and really it was anime and it was a multiple number of films because for some reason it just seemed like there was just a plethora of great anime films that released in the theaters last year and really kudos to g kids who is the uh distribution arm of north america for a lot of anime films they brought a lot of them to the theater last year and all the ones that they brought out were bangers 
to me, and uh, I listed four of them uh, on our uh, text chain, and the first one is uh, a title called Bell, and Bell is... Imagine Beauty and the Beast uh, in Second Life, Sims, Metaverse, uh, and, and just kind of smashed together. And that's kind of what this film is. Uh, you have uh, the main character who is kind of an unassuming teenager in Japan who gets involved in this uh, Metaverse uh, in the internet, and she becomes this celebrity singer. And at the same time, there's this uh, brooding uh, wolf-like character in there and she gets to know this character and uh really just it's this relationship of uh what does it mean to, you know, be yourself and, uh, how does, you know, yourself translate from the virtual world to the real world? And it's got amazing animation. It's got, uh, really great music. It's really just a great storyteller. And the same guy that, uh, directed that one did Summer Wars and Wolf Children and Murray, uh, really great director. And he did that one. And that was, that was in January of 2022. And so it was like, you know, all right. Already off the top, it was just a banger there. But then, just a couple months later, probably my favorite film at that point, uh, before, you know, up to that point, was uh, Pompo the Cinephile. And this film, uh, I described it on my podcast as a love letter to films and filmmaking. That, that's what this film was. And it, it kind of tells the story of this fictional uh, movie studio and a production assistant who is wanting to be a director. He's a cinephile. He loves films. He, he wants to be involved in directing. And he uh, gets picked by the uh, movie studio leader to direct her epic film. Uh, she wrote a script for this kind of epic film. And the funny thing is, is that she is mostly known for B-movies. And so uh, it's kind of weird you know, in the film, you know, she's like a B-movie, you know, mega uh, person, uh, but she has this like A-list kind of script and she gets her production assistant to direct the film and gets an aging actor to play in it and a no-name actress to star in it. And it just really tells the story of kind of what it means to love film and uh, all the things that kind of go into making a film. Really just, like I said, it up to the point when it released in, I think it was April, that was my favorite film. And it really wouldn't get dethroned until a couple months later. And we'll talk about what film it was that dethroned it. But for me, that was like number two of my favorite films of last year. Uh, another anime film that I loved that came out uh, in the summer was the Deer King. Uh, it, it's a film that, uh, you know, we talked about on this podcast, Princess Mononoke. It very much is in that same vein of storytelling and animation. Uh, the In this uh, film, there is a, a plague or a outbreak that happens and there's a lot of people that get sick and die and there are only these couple people who uh, are immune to this disease. They kind of come together. It's uh, an old man and a orphan girl and really just the animation is so beautiful in the film the story like i said it reminded me a lot of princess mononoke just uh really kind of an epic film of that vein uh really enjoyable really just enjoyed it a lot and then another film that is probably the most bonkers film that i've seen in my lifetime is nuo it's it's hard to describe this film i think the best way to describe it is uh, a japanese rock opera uh, it's set in the 
I think it's the 1300s or 1400s, back in the feudal uh, Japan, it is of two characters are kind of the, the main focus of the story. One of them is a blind musician, and the other one is a cursed singer. Uh, cursed as in he's deformed, he has, he's really not even supposed to look human, uh, but during the course of the film, as he sings and performs with this blind uh, guitarist, he plays like a guitar-like instrument, uh, he becomes more human, and it's really just, it's a bonkers film. It's the same guy uh, that uh, that directed that film, directed, uh, like, Lou Over the Wall, and a lot of, like, zany uh, uh, films, and this was probably one of his most zaniest films, but it's really just, uh, really impressive, just animation style, the music. Like I said, it really felt like a Japanese rock opera. Uh, it's, like I said, it's the best way to describe it, and really just very interesting film. And then the, the last film, uh, anime film, that wanted to highlight is Goodbye Don Gleese. Uh, it's a coming-of-age story of these three young, uh, young men young boys who uh, one summer kind of go on this adventure together. It really has that kind of stand-by-me, uh, 80s Goonies feel to it. Really just heartwarming adventure story together of these three uh, three boys and uh, and kind of how they grow up uh, during the course of the film. Uh, it was one that was probably like sentimental favorite of the films that, of the anime films that I watched but really just, like I said, all these films really super enjoyable. Uh, uh, loved gushing about them, but all different. They're all different genres, all different uh, animators, all different kind of perspectives, but they all kind of encompassed just the beauty of storytelling and the beauty of animation. I'm already trying to figure out how to stream these beasts. It's, uh, they're not all like easily accessible. Well, I'll say right now, uh, The Deer King is on Hulu. Okay. I know that one for a fact is on Hulu. Okay. Um, I'm not sure about some of the other ones. I know that you can, I think, I'm pretty sure that you can rent them on uh, like iTunes or Vudu or some of those other ones, but Michael uh, flies to Japan and watches it in the theater, so he's not, <laughs> he doesn't really worry about. See, I'm so he... jealous of you guys. You you at least have the big you know bell cord or whatever, which yeah. takes me quite a while to get to. I got to figure out how to check these out. It's interesting to me, Michael, when you describe themes and just overall topics of these films. Is I associate anime with you know adventure films, and it's like I love to see it branching out into so many different things, and I think it's because people have grown up watching. It, they want more of it, and it's just interesting for you to describe films that don't sound anime to me. Uh, so I haven't, I haven't watched any of these. Again, they're they're hard to find for someone who lives kind of further away from everyone. Uh, but I'm excited about them. I mean, I, I love anime. You know, when I get a chance, I watch whatever's available. Um, I've been watching a show that's it's not anime, but it's like watching an, a live action anime. Uh, it's called Alice in Borderland. I don't know if either of you guys have, have seen that show, but it just makes me want to watch anime more. So I'll definitely check some of these out. Um, I do love the stuff comes out of Japan uh, and how they they treat their animation uh, seriously. Like sometimes uh, we in the U.S. don't don't always do that, and they they have a lot of drama. They've got a lot of things that that you at least it was really novel for me growing up watching anime and just that you know you could see something that you wouldn't see cartoons as we call them in, out here in America. I was gonna say also Rylan, uh, Bell is on HBO Max, so okay. that's another one that you can check out on. Streaming. All right. Yeah, I know HBO Max has a pretty decent selection of anime, so I'll check that out. Michael, tell me about your most favorite underrated acting performances the last year. 
there was a lot of great performances. You know, a lot of the ones have been highlighted as far as like awards, uh, as far as nominations and uh, everything like that. But for me, two that I wanted to make sure got highlighted and celebrated was Jonathan Majors uh, in Devotion and Olivia Coleman in Empire of Light. Jonathan Majors is on a roll right now, you know, as far as Kang uh, in, in the Marvel Universe. He's going to be in the upcoming Creed film. But to me, his performance as the lead in Devotion, which if you've not seen that movie, highly recommend checking it out. He It's a, based on a true story of a fighter pilot in the Korean War, and his performance is tremendous. He really has to play such a, a character with such gravitas uh, and really kind of play that steel uh, performance and uh and he plays it so well like he has the gamut of emotions he has to be you know strong he has the vulnerability he uh is you know having to deal with a lot of uh struggles as being an african-american pilot uh in you know 1950s uh era and just all those things that go along with it uh he gives such a commanding performance and love the chemistry that he had with glenn powell uh, in that film and so it's one that i felt and i said on my podcast uh, he should got nominated for all the awards and unfortunately he didn't but for me and and you know highlighting him he definitely uh was the standout performer of last year as far as the male actor and then as the female actor olivia coleman in empire of light uh if you've not seen that film highly recommend it it's on hbo max uh it's a film where it's set in 1980 81 england and it's a movie theater uh that is being run uh in part by olivia coleman uh she is she has a tremendous performance kind of as this act uh, as this person who is dealing with relationship with her boss uh, uh, in an adulterous relationship with her boss, uh, at the same time dealing with uh, co-workers and struggling with uh, what would probably be you know schizophrenia, uh, bipolarism. It really just such a you know, epic performance, and she's done a lot of great uh, roles in the past. But I feel like this one was another one on that list of you know top tier performances, and it kind of flew under the radar because of you know a lot of other great performances last year especially because you know we have like michelle yo and uh, uh all the all the other great actresses you know that were last year but i feel like olivia coleman as well deserves to be up, up there with with how she did yeah. in empire of light yeah and it's interesting because coleman i think is considered one of the great actors of of, of today and she's a list of a list after work the last five years or so um it's interesting that this movie just that alone didn't kind of propel this movie to where more people didn't see it and yeah and especially the fact that it's a sam mendes directed film which was the follow-up to 1917 which was you know one that was hugely celebrated but this one just uh i I don't know what it was that it just it just kind of uh didn't have that same fire that some of those other films that he's done yeah it definitely flew under the radar for me i i had seen it advertised on hbo max but i hadn't seen any like uh, you know ads for it or anything or uh, so i wasn't sure what it was i I loved olivia coleman last year in the lost daughter and definitely on my list now yeah i think that could be a slow burn it's on 
you know what most people have HBO Max, so I, I could see that being a bit of a slow burn because she is a draw in of herself, and in frankly, Sam Mendes is as well. Well, we've made it to the big one, Michael. You've given us so much good stuff. This hour has flown. Speaking of flying, Michael, what was your favorite film of 2022? So I mentioned that Papa the Cinephile was my favorite film until it got dethroned, and it got dethroned by Top Gun Maverick. It is my favorite film of last year because it hits all the right notes. It hits the nostalgia feels with uh, having Tom Cruise back as Pete Maverick Mitchell, uh, it having you know Val Kilmer have a cameo role, having just that nostalgia of the original, but at the same time having a great story with all these new characters. You know, mention Lewis Pullman uh, in there. You have Glenn Powell, who hopefully won't get... St- uh, typecast as a fighter pilot uh, having played in this film and in Devotion but he was great all the Miles Teller playing Brewster Goose's son from the original just a great cast just a great story hits all the right nostalgic feels tells a you know great modern story all the things that go along with it great cinematography great action really it, it was a film for me that you know had to be seen on a big screen and saw it multiple times on a big screen and just was to me the right film at the right time uh, for 2022. It was, you know, my favorite film and one that I think will be up there for a good long time as far as like one to go back and rewatch again and again. I'm wondering if Top Gun Maverick won't be the like climax or apex of the, uh, you know, 80s nostalgia trend that we've seen over the last few years Um, because I don't see it getting a lot better than that, but you never know. What do you think, well, so many people have talked to me about this movie that I've watched it in the last few weeks. I didn't watch it on the big screen. I watched it on a very large screen in my home. But, you know, it's just, I just, well, I loved Top Gun when I was a kid. And it, I just knew it was going to be cheesy. And I just knew, and it was. And they'd lean in on nostalgia so heavy. But Tom Cruise is just like invariably up for this kind of thing. He just can. And you just think, oh, I'm tired of it. I don't want to see him. And no. And then you're right there. Yes, it was cheesy, but it was never not fun and that final mission you know that 45 minute mission that was so well done pulled off paced and everything else it's like i don't know i yeah it's justin tyler who comes on the show he was like it's propaganda for the military and it's cheesy and it's also it rules and it is it's like you can't not like that movie i liked its appeal to like my mother told me to watch this movie you know it did really well and they did what they were set out to do they absolutely nailed it and benefit of 2022 and you got a big budget film all the cgi all the stuff it's all flawless and it is so fun the final bit of that is so and there was from a screenplay standpoint down the stretch there was some some pretty creative stuff done uh maybe not early on i know you guys can tell i'm sort of like you know begrudgingly liking it but you know they didn't set out to win an oscar they set out to you know really entertain the pants off people of all ages for two hours and they did that well, I think, you know, it, it's always a risk when you're making a film that's a sequel to something that's beloved, and especially when it's been, you know, decades 
since the original film. And on top of the fact that, you know, this film got delayed several times because of the pandemic. And Tom Cruise was adamant that this film get released in theaters. It wasn't going to be released on streaming. It wasn't going to be put out on PVOD. It was a film that he made it his mission. Uh, <laughs> pardon the pun with Mission Impossible. He made yeah, it his speaking mission of the summer. Uh, to make sure that it came out in theaters. And it did. And we see the result of that is that it was a box office smash. You know, it made nearly yeah. $1.5 billion. That's, you know, a testament to uh, the persistence of Cruz making sure that it got released in theaters yeah. and the fact that it's a really good film and that people mm -hmm. wanted to see this film again and again. It's hopefully a testament to what's possible if you know you put really great people together you have a really great story and you know you have that right mix uh put together you know this is what you get yeah i mean just the challenge of doing a sequel 35 years later or whatever is uh you know impressive it really it really was and just technic just the technical aspects of it and the fact that tom cruise can still be believable in that this far later that's just so weird and so interesting but, um, you know, those Mission Impossibles, those movies are getting better. Um, it's, so, yeah, I mean, he's just like the Tom Brady of film. It's like he the rules do not apply to him. Yeah, uh, I said that I said the same thing last time on our last episode, right? Like it, anything that Tom Cruise is in that comes out is good. Even when you think mm -hmm. like, uh, it's just this. There's no way this one's going to be good. It's going to be a yeah. flop. Doesn't look that great. And you go see it and it's a good movie. It's good. He just makes good yeah. movies. Um, and the Mission Impossible: The Summer that will be a good movie. Yeah, because they know what they're doing with that. They they haven't varied from that formula since they made the TV show. I watched the pilot of that TV show for like 1966, <laughs> and they know what they're doing. And it's an interesting premise. And they have not varied from that. They've just expounded upon it and poured technology into it and good acting. And they've kept this group together. And I don't know. So I knew kudos. There's a reason why they put Tom Cruise in films because he is pretty much a guarantee. Michael, thanks for being on with. This has been an educational and terrific hour. Uh, our folks that listen to us have a lot of stuff to go watch. I appreciate your passion for this stuff. It's so well said. You can have our jobs if you wanted. I would invite you back on, but you could just have Filmsy if you wanted because you would serve the people even Mitch, better. Where's but, the papers? I'll sign right now. Yeah, I'll just sign it over <laughs> no, to you. No, because, no, 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 no. <laughs> I've, I've got my own podcast, Screen Nerds Podcast. You know, you can check that out. Uh, that way y'all get to keep y'all's podcast and I can come on and, and gush about films with y'all as well yeah screen nerds is really fun prolific i listen so i would invite everybody to listen to that you'll get michael's uh, a lot of times on the drive home take of this stuff and it's uh it's really fun the guy watches a lot of movies and just get, get you really excited for what's out there and obviously stuff that you might have missed thank you michael for coming on i appreciate you being on the show and all of your takes man they're great yeah thanks for having me well that's it for filmsy tonight been a great one we'll see you soon